when you are more thoughtful about what's being said to you than what you're going to say back, then you're probably emotionally detached. It's not that you're detached emotionally, you're just not getting sucked in to other people's emotional craziness. And I mean, I still have ups and downs and highs and lows. I laugh, I cry. So it's not like I'm just detached emotionally so I don't feel anything. It's just I don't feel other people, I don't let them commandeer my emotional well-being. And I, I just, I've been just waiting to quote this because there's this sentence in the beginning that I just love. And you say, it's that beautiful time when you're aware of and content with who you are such that no one can rip that sense of well-being out of your hands. Why do some women seem to have it all together, whereas others seem to be more like a butterfly trying to survive a tornado? Author Cindy McPike observes there is often a common thread pulling through the fabric that weaves the behaviors of women into consistent patterns, whether directive or destructive. One of these threads can be the presence or absence of a supportive father or father figure in the adolescent lives of women. Author Cindy McPike, in her book, Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood, identifies the common struggles and the transformation that is possible on the path towards emotional health. Join this conversation as host Melody Campbell interviews author Cindy McPike, and they discuss what she has learned on her journey from struggling with coping mechanisms that keep her trapped as a victim to learning to understand her own personal worth and how she developed healthy communications of her own needs. Okay, well today we are here again with author Cindy McPike to discuss her book, Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. It identifies the common struggles and the transformation that is possible on the path towards emotional health. And today we are finally discussing the sixth level of emotional maturity. And just to bring everybody up to speed, I'm going to real quick go through the six levels. Level one is basic emotional responsibility. You quit blaming external factors and you stop being a victim. Level two is emotional honesty. It's when you begin to own your own feelings and self-discovery begins. Level three is emotional openness, and you begin to share your feelings, and self-disclosure begins. Level four is emotional assertiveness. You're asking for and receiving emotional nurturing. And level five is emotional understanding. You understand the cause and effect of emotional responsibility, and self-knowledge begins. And today, we are in level six, emotional detachment, and you're freed from the self-concepts that are imposed by others. And unconditional love is possible. Okay, what do we need to know about emotional maturity? Kind of getting there and how do you know if you're there or not? Well, it's funny you say that. I was just going to say to your first question, uh, the answer to the second question. So they're actually both the same answer. the you will know when you are there because you uh you will you will literally feel the detachment you will be 
in a conversation with somebody and they're hot and bothered, heated and intense, and all of a sudden you'll take a big deep breath and it's going to feel a little bit like you're having an out-of-body experience mm -hmm. because you're going to step outside of what's physically happening and realize that, you know, like let's say the person is, is chewing me out and I'm going to step out in my head and, and I'm going to be like, wow, you know, they're really upset with me, right? Yeah. Not, oh my gosh, what am I, it's going to be like, wow, they're really upset. And, and my first reaction is probably going to be instead of what did I do wrong? Or is this really my fault? Or, oh my gosh, uh, I, I, she's being really mean. This, it's going to be, well, what really happened? What is really happening here right now? That's what happens to me. And I look at it and I say, I'm trying to think of an example of when this has happened. When you're around somebody who's, you know, for example, if you have a friend that's just completely losing it at some point, mm -hmm. that's as close as I can describe to being emotionally mature mm -hmm. as you can, that I felt when I wasn't emotionally mature. And let me take that back. I think it's pretty arrogant for me to say I'm emotionally mature. Um, I'm, what I would prefer to say is that I, you, you know, I would like to think that more often than not, I am emotionally mature, but I still regress and become mm -hmm. like a three-year-old on occasion. So that must, I'm just going to assume everybody does that and accept myself for not being, you know, any more zen than I am. Yeah. But anyway... If you see that friend that's just completely freaking out over something that you know is not really that big a deal, um, that's what it feels like. Because you, you are emotionally detached enough to look at it and say, number one, I know this person is really upset with me. Uh, I feel comfortable with the decisions that I made to get me to this point. I do also feel badly that they're this upset and I would like to comfort them, but I also don't want to do so to the extent that I, uh, you know, I don't want to mislead them into thinking that everything that they're saying is accurate. So you get into these kind of conundrums where you actually are, are trying to really solve what is happening with the problem and you're spending more time thinking about the other person and how to deal with them in a productive way mm -hmm. than you are trying to defend your own pained ego for somebody being mean to you or thinking less of you or whatever the case may be. So I'll try to think of an example here. Okay, this is not, uh, there's a lot going on behind this example. So I don't want anybody to judge the person that's involved, but um, it, it, it kind of plays into uh, what I just said when you see something happen. You know, my, my son's father died suddenly and recently. You know that. Yes. And, uh, we had just, we were out of town at an Arabian show when it happened. We had just gotten home. It was his, uh, my mother came over to comfort my son. And uh, she went upstairs to see him. I don't know what happened, but when she came down, she started in on me about the wedding invite list. And I'm like, uh, okay, you know, my son's now on the phone upstairs with his other grandmother, the mother of his father. Mm -hmm. And I can hear him sobbing so loudly. 
I have a realtor in my house trying to get me to sign this deal. And my mom's giving me a hard time that I didn't invite enough family members to the wedding. And I'm standing there thinking about it. And it's like, what is going on? I mean, I felt like, you know, well, this is pre-pandemic. I thought I was going crazy for a second, right? <laughs> and, you know, I had, I really was able to step back. And, and at that particular time, it was just too overwhelming. And I simply said at the time, I really can't deal with this at the moment. And that didn't suit her well because she was reacting about, I know what she was upset about now. It was completely unrelated to the wedding. I don't know why she picked that as the thing that she lashed out about, but people do that often. You know, they'll pick the the last straw and it looks like whatever they're upset about is minor, but it's really, you know, a big ball of problems. Mm -hmm. Anyway, enough about that. That wasn't the best job I've ever done. I'm basically what I'm trying to say is you when you are more thoughtful about what's being said to you than what you're going to say back, then you're probably emotionally detached. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like you don't allow whoever you're experiencing whatever drama is going on or coming out of them, you know, physically, um, verbally, um, that that drama that's coming out of them you don't allow it to push your buttons there's no one to blame there's no one to judge and i i just i've been just waiting to quote this because there's this sentence in the beginning that i just love and you say it's that beautiful time when you're aware of and content with who you are such that no one can rip that sense of well-being out of your hands so whatever that drama is, you can just maintain, like you were saying just now, detached from whatever they're upset about and think about solving the problem or setting it aside in the case of your mom. You said, I just can't deal with this right now. But you, don't, you didn't let her push your buttons so that you had to become emotionally unhinged with her. So I, that sentence, I, I think I... I have a wall in my office and I call it my wall of wisdom. I think I might put that on my wall. I love that. What's love that? It. What do you do? This, the beautiful time when you're aware of and content oh. with who you are, such as that no one can rip that sense of well-being out of your hands. That is worth looking at all throughout the day. You know, you get into that difficult situation where somebody slams you with their drama and the old temptation is to jump right in and duke it out verbally, you know, emotionally. But nope, nope, nope. I don't have to do that yeah. anymore. Oh, good. Well, then the example made sense because that's exactly what happened at that point in time. And I was able to just not be, I mean, it bothered me, of course. I mean, I'm a human being. I have feelings, um, but it didn't, you know, it, I knew there was so much going on and I just chose not to judge her. And yeah. I just chose to assume that, you know, that something had happened that I didn't understand. And I also knew that it was just more than I could just deal with myself at the time. But um, it, it literally, you know, it's, it's called detachment. And as you were reading it, I'm like, yes, it's called detachment. But it's not so much. Yeah, it's hard to detachment is kind of a negative word, I feel like, because it implies that you don't have feelings right? Mm. You're just, as you put it, it's not that you're detached emotionally, you're just not getting sucked in to other people's emotional craziness. Yes. And that's, that's 
how I like to look at it. I mean, I still have ups and downs and highs and lows. I laugh, I cry. So it's not like I'm just detached emotionally so I don't feel anything. It's just I don't feel other people. I don't let them commandeer my emotional well-being. As, as that you know. is so good. It's yeah. like they take control of it in that less than mature you know, development stage, when you reach that level of maturity, you're more able, not that it happens all the time, because as you pointed out, we sometimes fall back into those old habits, but we don't let them commandeer our emotions. That is such a good way of putting it. Well, and the one thing that I can say, the best tool that I have for when Someone is trying to, you know, and, and I'm making it sound like it's us against the world here, but usually that's what happens. You know, somebody either drops a monkey on your back. They call you with a problem. You try to rescue them. They hang up, and now you've got something on your back you have to do for them, okay? That's, that's an, one example of when being able to have this emotional detachment helps. And the tool that I like is, you know, you get that phone call and you take a big deep breath. You can hear it coming, whatever it is. They're upset, they're angry, they need a favor, and it's just not really where your brain is right now. You know, you're rolling along, you got your plans for the evening, you're gonna do some laundry, make this nice dinner, pour yourself a glass of wine, and then somebody calls you up and they need you, right? Mm -hmm. What are you gonna uh -huh. do? So for me, and, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to teach people to be selfish here. I'm just trying to teach them to make decisions for themselves yeah. so that they don't regret it or feel like they're being used. So I take a big, deep breath. That's the first thing I do. Big, deep breath. And if I feel pressure, I don't make a decision right then. I say, yeah. I'm, I have to think about it. And they're like, well, I'm waiting here right now at the bus stop. What, how, how long are you going to think about it? And you're like, if you need a decision that fast, you need to call someone else. I have to think about it. And you resolve yourself that if, if your first gut isn't, yes, I want to do this, that you, because you're so inclined to do everything for everybody, because that's probably how you have survived and built up your self-worth, mm -hmm. it's hard to say no. So you have to take that breath and risk that rejection. And the, the thing that you have to remember is, you know, when, when you take that deep breath and you either say no or you say, I'm going to have to think about it, and please use them and I have to think about it. Um, if the reaction that you get isn't loving, then you know you made the right decision, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, obviously like let's say that you have a friend that has a drinking problem and they call you every Friday night at 1 a.m. because they're too drunk to drive home. Hmm. Every Friday night at 1 a.m. they call you. So what do you do about that? You know what I mean? You let them drive drunk. Do you, you know, they call you up and you say, listen, you know what I mean? You get into some special and unique scenarios like that. Um, but the, the main thing is to, when you're giving that it's a decision that you made to give right and right. when you make a decision to give you're not doing it because you're expecting anything back like praise or love or anything because nine times out of ten the person isn't going to notice 
And so the, the reward that you want to get from your giving is the feeling of goodness that you get from giving, not because you get a thank you or not because somebody appreciates you. You have to do it because you want to do it, right? Yes. yes. And then you feel good about it. And then your happiness, again, is not dependent on somebody outside of you giving you a reward. You know, it's not like you're a puppy dog here. Look, I sat I sat down and I stayed, give me a treat. You know, we're, we are more sophisticated than that. Yet sometimes when we give for people, we turn ourselves into little puppy dogs. You know, well, I did the dishes last night. Aren't you going to do them tonight? You know, it's like, well, I didn't, why didn't you ask me to help you do the dishes? Oh, let's do them together tonight, you know? Yeah. Back well, and I think it's important um, to kind of make those decisions ahead of time, especially if it's a recurring you know, where somebody calls you Friday at 1 a.m. every Friday because they're drunk and can't drive home, I would just buy them a gift card for Uber <laughs> if I wanted to be, be you know, they, I knew they wouldn't be responsible enough to do it for themselves. But, and then I think that you can be um, emotionally grounded. So, you know, not using that word detachment, but emotionally grounded not to let this person commandeer your emotions, and you decide ahead of time, this is the action that I will take next Friday, I will say, feel free to use Uber and get home on your own. You know, and just, you know, hopefully they'll do that, take that responsible action and, and they will live through it and not make a stupid decision. But the, I think that that, that part is, is kind of um, knowing how to manage your emotions. So you talked about detachment not really being a good word. I mean, that's, that's the word. Whoever came up with these levels, that's what they came up with. But it's more like emotional management. You still get hurt if somebody, you know, calls you fat or dumb or whatever. And, you know, you still might be manipulated to people, please, or whatever that is. But you can manage it, and it doesn't manage you. So, um, there's a very important component, uh, a process that we haven't really addressed yet, though, which is, it's the idea of self-concepts. And that, that's, mm -hmm. the letting yeah. go of those is what gets you to emotional maturity or emotional detachment or emotional groundedness. Mm -hmm. So when you have these self-concepts, you know, if you like, uh, you know, I, earlier even in this, earlier in this uh, podcast, we talked about, um, you know, oh, I generally try to do this or, you know, I generally try to do that. So those are self-concepts. So if I say, you know, I generally, like sometimes I'll say, oh, I honestly, I think you should do this. And I'm like, I don't know why I say honestly, I, I'm always honest. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thinking I'm always honest is a self-concept, right? Mm -hmm. and when I have a self-concept that is, that is like, has gradations of right and wrong, then my self-concept is vulnerable. Whereas if I can just look at myself as a person who makes mistakes, tries her best, isn't perfect, and this is how I generally look at when I make mistakes. I truly believe that I would never knowingly hurt another person, whether that be definitely physically, financially even, or emotionally. I don't think I could, like, if I was aware I was doing it, I don't think I could do it, barring somebody holding a gun to a loved one's head or something like that. I'm just yeah. saying, 
but I try not to hold on to that too tightly because I understand that I can't predict all scenarios. Now, I also have standards for myself, right? I, I, I also aspire to be uh, to the perfect example of a human being, which is, you know, Christ, if you're of that faith or whatever faith you're of, there's mm -hmm. usually symbol symbol of perfection and you want to you want to at least strive for that so you do have to have some aspirations but at the same time you have to be able to not have that be something where you're going to crater your self-image if that becomes broken so you want to have a target a goal um, and you definitely never want to knowingly not try to achieve that but you got to accept that sometimes things happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Things happen, whatever that might be. And, you know, there's, I mean, there's countless examples of, you know, people that have killed people for looking at their phones while they're driving down the road, you know, oh, yes. um, are they a bad person? Um, I just saw a video of a guy in the car couple weeks ago and he was driving along in this big truck and this was in England he looked over at his phone to adjust the volume or maybe the song and he looked back and the camera was showing him inside into the front and he killed three people in the car in front of him and you could see them and you could see him all the way through it oh. and I was thinking to myself you know there's there's a great example right there there's a man that if he lets that, that, that will be the end of him, right? Yeah. He will yes. never be the same. Should he never be the same? Should he pay? I mean, I, I mean, of course, he, he, he had to go to jail. I mean, there, he definitely paid in a criminal capacity for negligence. But as a human being, he made the same mistake that undoubtedly anyone that has a cell phone has done at some point in their life. I mean, he didn't look that long, Melody. Mm. It was, I mean, honestly, it looked like it was like two or three seconds. I, I, I can't even believe the accident happened that fast. And so my point is, be careful of, uh, you have to let go of these self-concepts that you're a good person, but at the same time still strive to be a good person. But you have to be able to let go of it and accept that you are a human being yeah and then when you can see yourself as the whole person which is essentially i feel like i'm not doing a good job describing it. not to get too religious because i don't want you know people that aren't faithful i don't want to turn them off to the concepts in here but you have to let go of self-concepts so that you can accept your own imperfections but still aspire to be a decent human being that brings, you know, more good into the world, certainly than harm. I would hope we all aspire to do that. And you just have to accept that you're going to punk out every now and then, yeah. you know what I mean? And not yeah. beat yourself up over it. I don't, you know, I mean, at this point in my life, I don't do that a lot. And so I don't have a lot of relevant examples, but when I was younger, Boy, when I made a mistake or I screwed up or I let someone down, I would just, I would beat myself up for yeah. it. I could not accept, you know, I could not accept it. I, I mean, I just, I, I just couldn't accept it. And now it's like, you know, I mean, I still feel bad. I'm not saying I don't have a conscience. I just don't beat myself up over it. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think there's a difference between um, a healthy, um, and I'm not sure guilt is even the right word, but just that accountability, like, yep, I really blew it and I blew it bad, versus shame. And I think, I know I can speak for myself that there are so many times when I have shamed myself over the smallest imperfections. I would never do that to one of my children. They're adults now. And I would never, I wouldn't do that to just about any, I wouldn't even do that to my ex-husband, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, he's, he's not in my dearly beloved category, although thankfully he's in forgiven category. Um, but, you know, I think what you're trying to say is we can't, we cannot allow ourselves to bully ourselves or shame ourselves, but take appropriate, um, a, an appropriate response of accountability to when we do fall short. Everybody does, so we don't need the shame, but we all have to aspire to that, you know, that higher level. And I think that part of that is in that emotional groundedness, we're, we're a little less potentially a little less likely to fall into that shame realm. And like you mentioned um, earlier that there's that unconditional love. So that prohibits us. If we're really grounded in that unconditional love, we prohibit ourselves from that deep self-shaming. Does that, yeah, that, that helps. And I, and I have another, that's a great way to look at it. And that's exactly what I was trying to say. And then I remembered my example as well. Good. Um, based on that. So thank you. So when you, if, if anybody that's listening has a child and you're at the dinner table and the child spills their milk, right? Mm. You know, they didn't do it on purpose. Um, and in some families, that's really a big deal. Yeah. Like parents develop a real lack of talk. They just can't understand. Right. But as a parent, usually you're going to look at that and you're going to smile. They're going to be, oh man, you know, especially let's say it's a nice dinner and you have friends over, they're going to feel badly that the table, you know what I mean? And you're going to mm. be like, you know what? It's okay. This is not yeah. a big deal, but they're going to beat themselves up. In. So that's you, you want to be to where when you spill the milk, you're looking at yourself like your mom would. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another way, and this was the religion one where I didn't want to be off-putting to people. So in my view, you know, we're all, we're all created, right? And we come into this world, you know, with some genetic structuring, and then things happen, and then our personalities are formed, um, and, and are molded somewhat based on, you know, there's, there's whole endless studies on how much of it is environment, how much of it is genetic. But let's just say we make our way through life and we make mistake after mistake after mistake. And we develop this kind of a hard shell around us every time we make a mistake, let's say. And then, you know, we die, we go to heaven. And when we do that, that shell is, that shell cracks and falls away. And all that's left is that pure personality that we were created with but it's now got on top of the creation, the benefits of all the decisions that we've made, the right and the wrong, and the people that we've hurt, and the compassion that we've learned as a result of that, and our desire as we grow past you know, material wants and needs in this world and, and kind of reach a higher level where you know, it's not just having stuff, 
it's making sure other people have stuff and you know and evolving then when we go to this place and all that is shed away what's left is that pure person and all that beauty that was created yeah. there, right yeah. that's what i want I understand that I have that hard shell with those mistakes. And I'm not saying I'm unapproachable with the hard shell. I'm just saying it's not, it's a shell because it's not really who I am. Mm -hmm. it, it does influence me still here on this planet, but I've grown past, I hope, you know, being driven by that. Mm -hmm. I am in charge of what decisions I make at this point. So yes, those experiences are still there. And I do still make a lot more mistakes. And, and so I'm, I'm still adding to the shell at times. But the pure me is still a wonderful human being, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's emotional detachment. It's where you can, you can separate. In, and I'm trying to give a visual to help people visually see how to accept yourself. Because it's going to be really hard if you can't still see the ugly. So turn it into something that is outside of the beauty that is you, that is something that, that shapes who you are and is giving you these life's experiences, but it's not who you are. Yeah. Well, it's like the patina on, um, on, on copper. You know, it might be, be brilliantly shiny and beautiful copper, but weathered by a little bit of life, there's some patina. And that actually can be beautiful. Exactly. You don't, you don't, it doesn't, it's not an ugly, it could, it can even be a, a fancily painted outer shell. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it can bring beauty to you um, because of the experiences and likely it will, because if once you've been through, once you've been to hell and back, when somebody marches up to you and I don't know about you, but every now and then, I, I think I told you on a previous podcast about that elderly gentleman that started chewing me out at the post office mm. and you know there it's going to happen right yeah, somebody's yeah. just gonna you know for whatever reason but when you can just take a deep breath while they're doing it and smile and think gosh i wonder I wonder what their morning was like it must have yeah. been awful you know you know because for all we know his wife's in the hospital dying of cancer and he's in a hurry to get back to her and that's why he was yelling at me you know what yeah. I mean? We, we don't know what's going on in that guy. He could just be an absolute ass also. So, you know. <laughs> that uh, his hard shell didn't improve with age. It got more cranky with age. That happens. Well, or he was just having a really bad day and he's a great guy otherwise. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I kind of think that's probably not the case, but um, I'll get, I guess I'm willing to cut him a break. But I guess the point is, is to... To be emotionally detached means to accept that you don't that you don't have to have these self concepts that you need to measure up to. Mm -hmm. You just are, and sometimes you're going to be awesome, and sometimes you're going to be cranky, and sometimes you're not going to be as alert. Sometimes I'm super funny, mm -hmm. and other times I'm just a blob. You know. And <laughs> And that's okay. I mean, yeah. I realized that the other day I was in one of our, our business networking meetings and we left and someone asked me, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, but I, I just hadn't made any jokes that day. <laughs> it just wasn't really, you know, for whatever reason, I just wasn't in a, you know, the super jovial mood. Yeah. Uh, 
but just drop the self-concepts. Quit trying to create a bar to live up to. Yes, yeah, still set goals, and we'll talk about that later. Still set goals in life. Still aspire to things. I'm just saying, give yourself a break. Yeah. Who you are who you are. You did what you did, and tomorrow's hopefully going to come nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that will come because we're in the middle of the pandemic right now and everything's a little weird. Yes. And so it actually makes sense for a whole lot of reasons to be talking about these different levels of emotional maturity um, because there's a whole lot of things that could be triggering them right now, you know? Well, people Um, are going to be, many people, as you know, are going to be much more vulnerable right now. They are not going to have their most basic needs taken care of. At a time that they need health care, they're losing their jobs. Yeah. When there's a pandemic that could likely end you, you know, it's so random who it hits hard, you know, so they're looking at, am I even going to get, you know, is there going to be enough respirators and am I going to have health insurance to pay for it is basically where they're thought they're in survival mode. There will be some people that will not be able to handle that pressure gracefully. And I'm not sure I would either. You know, I don't, yeah. I, I'm not facing sleeping under a bridge tonight. I, I have a, a home that has heat and I'm running low on groceries, but <laughs> I know I can go buy them if I need them. Right. So, yeah, and and that's the thing is you're going to encounter that more. And when you do, if you're holding on to these self-concepts that are fragile, you're more likely to react to that. Whereas if you aren't and you just are and somebody comes up and starts chewing you out, you'll breathe and think, wow, um, I feel terrible for this person. They are so miserable right now and they're lashing out at me. They, it's awful. In, yeah. in, instead of sitting there boiling inside, you, you literally are spending more time thinking about what that person is going through and what, what has compelled them to get to this point with you. Right, right. So you replace the victimization or victimizing yourself with more of an outward view of the people in front of you that might be having that drama, that meltdown or whatever. And I think that's really, that's an important thing to, um, to emphasize is that emotional maturity really gives you um, the ability to make space for other people who might be for whatever reason, maybe normally they're a pretty emotionally grounded human being, but if they're losing their job or their healthcare or there's not enough food, that might be creating the fear that'll take them back down the ladder and they're, they're, you know, lacking some of the basic emotional skills and they're might be lashing out. So that's, that's really important, you know, cause then you can kind of find this equilibrium. Well, I was going to, one other important point about this, and I agree with everything you just said is, but even though you're being empathetic because you don't have these self-concepts that you're having to babysit, and so you are able to think about that person, that doesn't mean they have a right to yell at you or mistreat you. So like usually what I will do, you know, like with the older, older gentleman that was chewing me out in the post office, I let them go. You know, they'll, you know, as long as they're not calling me names, if they were to call me names, I would just walk away. 
Um, or if it looked like it was physically violent, I would walk away. But if somebody's just kind of reading me the riot act, like with him, I listened. And then with him, I simply said, you need to just be quiet. I didn't have any sympathy for him at the moment because he was being really rude. Um, and I, uh, but so like, let's say somebody did come up to you. It's perfectly understandable to say, I understand you're upset, but you're going to have to bring the volume down. You're yelling at me and I, I'm not going to stand here and be yelled at. I do want to talk to you, but I will not be yelled at. So it yes. is okay to do that. You do not need to let ever, no one should ever yell at you or call you names, obviously physically hurt you, anything like that. You should always stop them because that is the beginning of a slippery slope in a relationship. Yeah, no, and, I agree. I agree. And you have to stop that, whether it's a coworker, whether it's your own child, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't care. Uh, as I said, you know, my son's father recently died and he was having a very bad day and was, bless his heart, and I love him. And he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? And he's a great guy who would never hurt a soul. But he was a, being a little bit, um, a, you know, he was a little bit wrapped up in his own feelings and wasn't being as thoughtful of mine. And I, I had to just tell him, you know, I know you're having a horrible time. I understand that. But it doesn't, even though your father died, it does not give you the right to mistreat me right now in this conversation. So yeah. either you stop that or the conversation stops and you can say it lovingly and you can, and, but you have to back it up because if yeah. they do it again, then the conversation has to end because yes. you never ever want to let somebody not be nice to you. Then the more a person knows you, the less likely they should be to take advantage of you. If you're in a relationship with somebody that the more that you get to know them, the more they take advantage, that is a bad, that's, that's something you need to correct or in my opinion, in the friendship. Yeah. So like I have people, my friends that, uh, you know, we go out to dinner and some of them have more money than me and some of them have less money than me. But I always try, as do my friends, to treat it as if we all have the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. Meaning I don't always buy for the person that has less and I don't always expect the person that has more to buy. That's their money. This is my money, etc. And I view feelings kind of the same way. I, I put it in that same boat where, you know, you, you might be having a really bad day, but you don't get to drag, you know, you don't get to take it out on me or I might be having a really bad day and I don't get to take it out on you. You right. know, be cognizant of your friend. You call your friend up if you're really upset. Well, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I'll finish it since I started. So there are times, and then I think this is more for women than men, but I'm not a man, so it's hard to say, that something happens and you just want somebody else to know about it, right? You just, it feels alone. <laughs> you alone. need to vent. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, 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 I don't know if it's venting. I don't want it to be venting, so I'm not talking about that. But, you know, you just want to call a friend up and say, wow, this just happened to me. And rather than call it up, can you believe that? It's just like, wow, I feel like I'm, this is so surreal. I just had this experience that is so surreal. But, you know, try to make it entertaining for them at least if you're going to be, you know what I mean? Calling yeah. them up. Like I usually try to turn it into a little bit of a joke, make sure we get a laugh. Um, but if I'm really, really upset, I just call and say, I'm really upset. I just want to talk or I just want you to tell me that I'm the best mother ever uh, <laughs> or whatever the case may be. But so that was my last point on that was just 
on the one hand, you can be emotionally detached. You can take a deep breath. The person that you're talking to can be livid, but they can never, ever abuse you unless you let them. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's physical abuse and then you got to get special help. And we have a chapter on that later too. I'm just talking about simple people taking advantage and being rude type of thing in, in this context. I, I think we've made a really good case for all these levels of maturity. Let's talk about the next, because there's 11 more chapters and topics, and, and I don't want to go in-depth on any of them, but is it like, okay, now that we've got this foundation, now we're going to apply it to how girls without daddies relate to men moving forward. And, and now it's the application of the foundation that you've laid. Is that, is that what's coming next? It is, uh, it's part, partly so, yeah. I mean, it, it just, I tried to write this book so that each chapter kind of had its own golden nugget. Mm-hmm. One of my frustrations is when the, the beginning is great and then the second half of the book just keeps going over the same thing in more detail. So this one takes uh, just different characteristics that are separate from this emotional maturity structure that also happen to happen, happen to happen, that's funny, to girls without daddies. So the way we cope. Yeah. Why is it that we think we can win a man with sex? You know, I mean, that's, that's probably true. A lot of women, not necessarily just those without daddy. You know, why do women, you know, I'm just looking at chapter titles. Why do women think feel in general that they, you know, need to be rescued by a man. Why don't you feel like you're attractive, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And when daddy returns, there are countless girls I know, and myself included, where, you know, once you become an adult, your dad takes an interest in you. What what do you do? Do you you trust him? Do you have any obligations there? Anyway, faith is a tool and just, you know, divorce, uh, just how that can affect uh, for those mothers that have younger daughters um, Mm -hmm. or even more mature daughters that went through it that are still trying to cope with it. So it's kind of a little bit of a less structured look of of other things that affect girls without daddies. So different scenarios and just kind of sorting through them. So not necessarily applying this... um, these levels of maturity, but just looking at the scenarios that are common and kind of a consistent thread for girls without daddies. Well, I think um, you're right too. It is applying this because you, you, you can't really deal with the rest unless you've dealt with the underlying structural issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, until you understand why your gut reaction is a certain way, you know, you're not going to be able to, I don't want to say logic your way out of it, but mm-hmm. you have to I guess put away childish things is the phrase that comes to mind, even though it's not necessarily childish. It's, it is the patterns that you developed as a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, and now you've got to sit back and say, okay, now I'm a grown up. What else have I been doing to myself that I didn't realize? Okay. Well, I am excited to check out these next 11 chapters and take a more in-depth look at some of the different characteristics that seem to show up in a girl without a daddy. Um, uh, And like you mentioned, it doesn't have to be a girl without a daddy because a lot of it can just be habits that we've picked up in our culture. um, And and maybe from our, both our parents, our mothers, our fathers, but 
kind of how to how to take a look at it and how to navigate those maybe less than productive life choices. I'm looking forward to that. So, okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Again, we have been uh, speaking with the author of Girls Without Daddy, Cindy McPike. We've been discussing her book, Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. And we will be back again next week, chapter 12. We are talking about your type of guy. Now, let me point out here, it's all good to listen to these podcasts, but you can pick up a copy of the book, which I highly recommend, and just read it and hear the examples and the stories that Cindy writes about in this book. It's actually a pretty quick and easy read. However, you may stop at some of the chapters and want to journal a bit. <laughs> so I recommend that as well. Um, any final words for us before we close up today's um, conversation? I say smile and feel good because life is awesome. It is. And even if you're facing challenges like we all happen to be right now with this um, pandemic, is you can be a really good problem solver because life is, is about 50-50. It's 50%, you know, problems and 50% solutions. So be thinking about the solutions. All right. Thank you, my friend. We will talk again next time. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks. You have been listening to a conversation with Cindy McPike, author of Girls Without Daddies, Filling the Void of a Fatherless Childhood. This life-changing book is available at Amazon.com in paperback or Kindle version. To invite Cindy for podcast interviews or speaking opportunities, visit girlswithoutdaddies.com. Tune in next week for another emotional transformation conversation.